Hello everyone. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Nick's World of Sports. My name is Nick Zapola. Thank you for tuning in. Coming off a little bit of a break after two back-to-back episodes, one of them being a shorter one about MLB's umpiring issue and the Buster Posey rule, and the other one being football over-unders. We're predicting the win totals of each team, saying over-under, what's going to hit, what's not going to hit. If you want to make some free money, go back and listen to episode 13. We are on episode 14 of Nick's World of Sports. Thank you again for tuning in. We have a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk baseball. There's a new number one team in baseball when it comes to wins and the best record. The Yankees have slumped hard. There's a new best team. The Mets have a better record than them now. The Dodgers do and the Astros do. We're going to talk into the Yankees' recent struggles. We're going to talk about the Mets, who have been surging since the deadline. We'll talk about the Dodgers, too, who have been surging. We're going to talk about a few teams. And we're also going to get into, again, part of my complaints about the umpires is there are some terrible umpiring performances over the week. We'll talk a little bit about the Field of Dreams game, just not not too much about it because it was kind of, you know, it's a cool thing every year, but it stinks that there was two really, really shitty teams playing, so we won't really talk too much about the Field of Dreams game. We're going to talk about a few other things, and we might get into some football headlines as well, including, you know, some off-the-field stuff, more so former players like Marshawn Lynch, what they were up to this week. And we'll talk a little bit of the preseason as preseason week one happened, or it's starting right now. We'll get into a few things, but first, let's jump right into, uh, I guess, baseball. I shouldn't have said, well, first, but we'll just jump right into baseball headlines. We uh, start off uh, this episode with a little bit of news that was just reported by Robert Murray, and it was retweeted by John Heyman on Twitter, that the Astros had suffered a big loss now in their hitting cores. Michael Brantley underwent an arthroscopic labral repair on his right shoulder he's out for the remainder of this season what does that mean for the Astros going forward well defensively not much on the defensive side because Brantley doesn't offer too much of the glove offensively though Michael Brantley is one of the most consistent hitters in baseball cheating or not Michael Brantley is over over his career it seems like he's a walking 310 in the batting average common spot he always has been a great hitter even dating back to his Cleveland days the guy just knows how to hit he is a professional hitter he gets on base and he does a job he keeps that lineup he's a glue guy in that lineup that consists of Altuve Alvarez Bregman who's been having a little bit of a down year in my opinion now Mancini Kyle Tucker that's a lineup with Bregman in it not Bregman excuse me Brantley in it that is a pretty pretty damn good lineup that's probably one of the best ones in baseball if not the best lineup in baseball from like pure protectionness there's not a lot of guys that can go in there and be like a Brantley or you know a uh a contact guy that really keeps the lineup together that's a consistent hitter doesn't really get through a lot of uh you know doesn't have a lot of lulls not a lot of holes in his game offensively Michael Brantley is a big loss for this team moving forward and I think that might come to bite them come playoff time because instead of having six guys you can't pitch to you now have five and you're gonna have four guys with some question marks over their head I'm I do now the Mancini and Vasquez pickups look a little bit better just because you have some other guys that do provide some protection that are good hitters no one's gonna replace Michael Brantley in this lineup and now 
that kind of stinks for a guy, I guess, like Jose Siri, who just got shipped off, because that could have been his chance to get everyday playing time and probably prove to the organization he could be solid. But, you know, that's just tough. You, no one can foresee those types of injuries. And as much as I don't like the Astros, I wish nothing but the best for Michael Brantley, and hopefully he comes back next year and kills it. That's just a tough loss to have this early in the year. Like, not this early, this late in the year. Because usually a torn labrum does take most of the year. But as a someone who's a hitter, he could DH, but that means you force your Don to play in the outfield. Now, your Don's not a great fielder. He's a uh, below average fielder, but he hits a lot. And he's probably one of the best power hitters in baseball. He's not the best, he's one of the best. And he can rake. So that does provide, I guess, you know, some offense in that spot, but that's moving your DH out into the outfield and left field, where Brantley has been a mainstay the last few years. It's going to be tough for the Astros to replace Michael Brantley, and, you know, that's just unfortunate timing. We'll move on to a little bit more baseball headlines. Um, The Tigers made a big move in the middle of their rebuild, which might be looking more and more like a failed rebuild, and they have fired manager Alavila, general manager Alavila, and that's a big move because he was part of those, he was the post-Dombrowski era, it's something that shows, you know, this rebuild hasn't been living up to the standard the Tigers thought it would be living up to. The Tigers expected to have this rebuild be a little more short-term. They had the number one overall pick, Spencer Torkelson. They have Riley Green. They just signed Javi Baez to a big deal. And they did nothing. They couldn't do anything. They had no... I thought for sure this year they were going to be a top three team in the Central. I thought they would maybe even, you know, compete for the division title just because... The free agency they had and the prospects, especially Torkelson. I, I was very high on Spencer Torkelson. But the fact that he's not even showing up, that's just making me scratch my head a bit. Like, what's going on with this organization? Like, that's a smart move, though, by them because usually you fire the manager first. I don't think it's A.J. Hinch's fault. As much as I want A.J. Hinch to fall, he is not the scape, the I guess the scapegoat here. It's on the GM Alavila. There's something going on there. I think it's a good move because that really gets a clear vision for a rebuild. Like if, When you fire the GM, that just brings in someone, I guess, outside the organization that has a different philosophy, and it might work moving forward. According to the New York Post, they think Dodgers executive Josh Burns is the logical choice to replace Alavila. Burns was the former GM of both the Padres and the Diamondbacks at one point, and he was the runner-up to Sandy Alderson for the Mets GM job a few years ago, and that's kind of got a stink for Mets fans knowing that. There's going to be a lot of big free agents coming up too this year, so let's see what the Tigers do. They seem to be a little bit in the spend mode after the Baez contract. We have also a little bit more news just to cover some more baseball headlines. Barring an injury, Carlos Correa will opt out of his deal or is likely to opt out of his deal, joining Trey Turner, Dansby Swanson, and Xander Bogarts, who's going to opt out of his deal most likely to join the massive pool of shortstops that are going to be free agents, which is kind of crazy to think about that, that there's so many big-name free agents this year. Also, barring an injury, Justin Verlander will decline his $25 million player option looking for a Scherzer-type deal. I like that. I like both those moves from both those guys. Look, if I'm Correa, I signed, I sold myself short. I would, If I was Carlos Correa, I would have taken the $300 million to go play in Baltimore because look how they're playing right now. But Baltimore has had a little bit of a uh, surprise year from former Yankees top prospect Jorge Mateo. 
he's having a pretty nice year putting it together. Seems to be doing it all with the stick, the glove, and, of course, his speed. He's really, really well known for his speed, Jorge Mateo. And I guess that's kind of a bit of a – I wouldn't say a smart, but it's a money-saving move by the Baltimore Orioles. I think they're, they're going to be a team next year that's going to be knocking on the door of the playoffs. Like, they're going to be a playoff team or a playoff contender. If they go out and they offer that $300 million deal to Correa again, that wouldn't be too crazy for me. I would rather them get pitching Baltimore, but that's not a bad thing. Correa will reset the shortstop market this offseason. Him and Trey Turner. Dansby Swanson, I can see going back to Atlanta. He's not going to want to move too much. And Xander is going to go. He's leaving Boston. But that big of a pool, a guy like Dansby Swanson then becomes a B-tier shortstop at this like cycle. That's just kind of crazy to think about that. The former number one overall pick. There's going to be two former number one overall picks. Trey Turner, who was really damn good throughout his whole career. And I think Trey Turner's become somewhat underrated ever since he left Washington. He's kind of been a bit underrated. I think Trey Turner's awesome. And Xander Bogarts, who's also a bit fallen under the underrated tier a bit, especially for playing a team like in Boston. We're going to see what's going to go on with those. Verlander opting out. He's just going to look for more money. And I think the Houston Astros would be silly not to pay him. Another big free agent name that hasn't played this year is Michael Conforto. He remains a candidate to come back to hit in September for some teams looking for a bat. That's kind of like having a trade deadline acquisition, but without actually trading anything. Conforto does have a good bat at times. He's really struggled this last year. He had the surgery. I know a couple of teams were interested in picking up the the, uh, free agent Conforto, the former Met, but I don't see him playing this year. I could maybe see him getting an invitation to spring training sometime in December or January, but I, I think that we're going to have to wait on uh, Conforto coming back. Last little bit of headlines is uh, Charlie Montoyo, uh, kind of somewhat news that him and Luis Rojas, the third base coach for the Yankees, both those guys seem to be up for managerial jobs coming up this year. That will be interesting to look at going forward. I think Montoyo deserves a second chance, and I don't know if anyone else besides Montoyo really deserves that second chance. Okay, enough headlines, really. We won't talk about too many more big headlines. I'm going to take a deep dive into two potential trades that nearly happened this past week or so, like right before the deadline. The uh, We're talking about my Yankees in both of them. But here's where it gets interesting. So everyone thought Luis Castillo was going to be a Yankee as of probably this time two weeks ago. Everyone thought Luis Castillo would be a Yankee. He wasn't, unfortunately. He was shipped off to the Seattle Mariners. Luis Castillo has thrown two pretty good games against the Yankees since then. And everyone knows by now that Seattle, in my eyes, that was an overpay. They gave up. They're one, three, and five prospects. Two of them are shortstops, and one of them being a top 20 guy, Noel V. Marte, who's in single A, and he's going to be nasty. I thought the Reds got some nice hauls for some of their pieces, especially that one. That was the big one that they got a really nice haul for. What I read in this article from the New York Post and a couple other sources, that the Yankees tried hard for Luis Castillo, offering top prospect Jason Dominguez in packages, but they held firm on Anthony Volpe and potentially Oswald Peraza. That's who the Reds wanted for Luis Castillo. Now, Niazza Brian Cashman. You were able to get probably Mr. Number 2 or 1A on some people's lists behind Rodon. 
and Castillo, the next best guy available in Frankie Montas, who has a year of control as well, along with Luis Castillo, who has a year of control. The Yankees made that move. They were able to get Montas in exchange for their number five, their number 20, 18, and I think 15, if I remember the numbers correctly. It was J.P. Sears, who was major league ready, and he was probably going to have to be – that was going to be a tough decision in the offseason what to do with J.P. So you had him. Cooper Bowman, who probably wasn't going to see the field in New York. Um, he also shipped off – Luis Medina, oh, number 12, excuse me. Luis Medina, who I thought could be a reliever, a closer of the future, but that's fine by me. We shipped him off. It's taken him way too long to get to the show. I expect him to be here this year. And we also ship off another AAA guy who's probably a year away, and Ken Waldeschuk, who's got really nasty stuff. I'm okay with all those moves to get a guy like Monte. I would have offered that for Castillo, and I thought that would have been a little much. I think it was a little much for Montes, too, but... The fact that the Yankees were able to keep one through four in their system after this deadline and the moves they made, I'm okay with that. I'm I'm a little disappointed that the Yankees weren't able to work something out for Castillo because he's pitched like a Cy Young Award winner this year. He's been really good. He's been lights out. He was the best arm available. He's got incredible stuff. He pitched – if you guys were watching at all – any of the Yankees-Mariners games. This was the one that went to 13 innings that the Mariners won one nothing the other night. We were treated to an absolute treat. That was an absolute beautiful game of pitching. Luis Castillo went eight innings, no runs. I think it was seven strikeouts and two walks. Beautiful baseball by Luis Castillo, continuing to frustrate Yankee hitting. Yankee hitting has not been able to do too much often this year. He's been unreal. And the fact that Seattle has him, Robbie Ray, and Logan Gilbert is pretty scary. That's a good one through three come playoff time. I really like Luis Castillo. I still don't think he was worth even Dominguez. I do like the idea the Yankees were aggressive and offered one of their top three prospects, but I would have rather have seen the Yankees maybe deal Peraza for him. Volpe seems untouchable. They're billing him as the next Jeter, which is okay. Do I think Volpe is going to be better than Peraza? The potential, yes. Right now, no. I think Volpe's still a little raw. I think Peraz is the better defender and a better overall player where Volpe has the potential to be a top 10 guy in baseball if he makes it to the show and figures it out. Where Peraza is a solid piece, probable multi-time all-star, good defender. He's going to be a good Yankee, Peraza. If, the fact that they kept him and that they kept... Volpe and they kept Dominguez shows that they have a lot of belief in those three. Wells, too, which I still think they should have moved Wells, but those three to four guys in that system, they show a lot of belief in, and the fact that they didn't give up on any of them shows me that Cashman was really high on him. And he was still able to make the moves that he was able to make without giving up a top four prospect. And also keeping on, keeping holding on to some pitching guys, too, like Luis Heal, the, uh, underrated Yorenis Gomez. Like, you have a couple pieces pitching-wise you held on to. You brought in that kid from the uh, the Dodgers who actually pitched a gem the other day. You're able to hold on to Clark Schmidt, even. Shows me a lot of belief in the pro- in the system, and that after this year, there's going to be a little bit of a shake-up in the Yankees organization. And speaking of the Yankees, we're going to jump right into their series. I'm going to talk a little bit about it. I'm going to be honest. They look fucking terrible outside of game one they look terrible offensively they look lost 
tough news that happened after game one. We found out that Matt Carpenter fractured a bone in his foot after fouling a ball off of it. He's going to be out six weeks, it looks like. He's on a 10-day IL, but that doesn't mean shit, the 10-day IL. That just means you're out indefinitely. And the earliest you could come back is 10 days after the injury occurring. But that's a big blow to the Yanks, who are already depleted without Giancarlo Stanton. And they were without Anthony Rizzo up until the third game of this series. And I'm just going to tell you how it is right now. The bats need to get going if the Yankees want to do something. They're no longer the best team in baseball. The Dodgers have leapfrogged them. And in the American League, they're not even the best. The fucking Astros leapfrogged them. And that's a bad sign if you're the Yankees. You just you had series two in front of you. The St. Louis series... And you had the Mariners series. You easily should have went 4-2 and two in that stretch. Easily. That should have been no problem going 4-2. and two. What happens? You go into St. Louis. You get swept by the Cardinals. Game 3, we talk, we've talked about that whole series in my short one about the MLB has an umpiring issue where I called out Ed Hickox and a couple other guys who were terrible. Had a really Ed Hickox had a terrible game in Game 3. Cost the Yankees the game. But besides the fact, you should have won the other two. Clay Holmes melted down in game one of that series. And then game two, Jordan Montgomery out, shuts you guys out. Are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me, guys? Come on. Then you go to game – let's go to the Seattle series. Game one looked great. Josh Donaldson has been on a lone piece of the Yankees roster, not named Aaron Judge and DJ LeMahieu that has been on fire recently. I can also throw in Andrew Benintendi who had a good game too. Benintendi starting to figure it out. You have a couple of guys figuring it out right now. I'm, I like it. Hicks had a decent game. I'm pretty sure too in game one. But more so, the story of that game was Josh Donaldson than Aaron Judge hitting home run number 44. Awesome, awesome stuff. Game two, we get shut out in 13 innings, lose one nothing, and there are a lot of people to scapegoat in this one. And I could go on and on about it. We'll talk about it though the base running. It looked like I was watching the 2021 Yankees early in the year like I remember watching games where they were playing down in Baltimore and Clint Frazier was making bonehead plays ground balls he's a man on second one out ground ball to third he's running on contact to third base he's getting tagged out well we're watching plays like just terrible base running decisions we're we're, it looked like a 2021 Yankees game we had the Aaron Judge stolen base thing fine that happens he was going to get caught eventually that was just tough that's just tough luck we'll go to the 10th it's Benintendi leads the inning off at second base. Then Josh Donaldson gets plunked. So Donaldson gets lifted for a pinch runner in LaCastro. I'm a little confused by that move by Boone. That's a little bit of overmanaging. I get it. Like, someone finds the gap. You want that run to score. You want to make it 2 nothing because the pitching has been dynamite all day. Cole, probably his best. I could argue Cole pitched better than Luis Castillo in this game. That was the pitcher's duel we want to see. If, we're, if we run into Seattle come playoff time in New York, I would love to see another Cole-Castillo matchup. That was beautiful. From someone who loves watching pitching duels, I know they're boring at times and there's not a lot of offense. That was probably one of the best pitch games I've seen all year by both sides. No one, There unfortunately had to be a loser in this contest. Even the guy who let up, who lost the game for the Yankees in Loisica, he looked good too. He, he still looks good. Some of the stuff's not there sometimes. He's been hanging a couple of pitches, unfortunately. It's just... Hasn't been the same guy at times, but there's flashes of him looking great. And he looked like he had his A stuff this week. Just, unfortunately, he hung one or two pitches that shouldn't have been hung. Or he could get that change up down. He's starting to get back on top of the sinker, but that's beside the point. Unfortunately, someone had to lose this game today. 
or that game or that game too. I stayed up all night watching it. I didn't go to sleep after that game. I stayed up all morning. I could not go to sleep. I was up pissed. Tenth inning, back to the Benintendi and Lacasho situation. Benintendi takes off a second, split second too early, and Seawald saw him. Paul Seawald sees him, gets Benintendi into a rundown. Benintendi's tagged out, but Lacasho moves up the second. Fine. Man on second, one out. And it's the fastest man in baseball. What do the Yankees do? They don't get him in. Tough. It's tough. We move to the 11th. We have Andujar at the dish. Hicks comes up. Andujar also struck out in the 10th when he had a chance to be the hero. Fucking horrible at bat from Miguel Andujar, by the way, too. Terrible, terrible at bat. This is a guy everyone wants to, myself included, wants to believe in in New York. Miguel Andujar had a terrible at bat. He had terrible at bats down the stretch. It's obvious to me he should not be on the major league roster. There are guys that could provide that same at bat, but also provide a little more versatility, which you want off your bench in Estevan Floreal and in Oswald Peraza, or even Oswaldo Cabrera down in the minors. Or Oswaldo Cabrera is like Marwin; he can play every position. So I don't get why we're calling up Andujar. I know he's on fire in AAA, but he doesn't offer versatility. If he's gonna have piss poor at bats, that's it doesn't really bring confidence to me that he deserves to be in the major league roster right now. Speaking of the Andujar thing, 11th inning, no one out. Hicks hits a line drive. Great play by the second baseman, by the way. Great play. But Andujar catches himself lacking. He's not even close to the bag. He gets doubled off. That's two outs right there. The Yankees only brought two batters to the plate in the 11th inning. You have a man on second and no one out, and Andujar catches himself dicking around off of second base. You can't fucking do that in a game like this. Against a playoff team, a team that has a dynamite bullpen, you catch yourself lacking like that. That is, that's a crime that you do that. You should have been DFA'd on the spot. Not demoted, DFA'd, cut. If I'm a GM in a playoff race and I call you up to be a contributor after we lost one of the best hitters in baseball in Matt Carpenter, who's been having an awesome year, we lose him, we call you up, and you can't do shit. I, I don't know what to do. As a manager, I'm benching you. I'm taking you right out of the game. You're not getting another at-bat the rest of the week. As a GM, I'm losing my mind. I'm like, I just called this guy up, and he's not going to play like this? And he's going to play like this? He, I don't want him to play? What the fuck is organization thinking? That was a silly-ass move. You don't want to... Bu- I get it. Hicks has been starting to find himself out of a, a cold something. He's like, oh, for 30-something. Then he went two. He went three for three against Ar- uh, Arizona. St. Louis. My football brain's on. Shit. And then he's going... He has a decent game one, Hicks, of the series. He he ripped that ball, too. That ball was hit on the screws. Just happened to be a great play by the second baseman. But Andrew Hart, this is simple base running. This is why I used to get pissed at Clint Frazier, too. Because he was throwing that bitch to the media all the time and requested trades and was like... I don't want to be in AAA in Scranton. I don't deserve to be in Scranton. I deserve to be in the Bronx. I'm too good to be in AAA. I should be starting. It's unfortunate that I keep getting sent down. Well, newsflash, Andujar, if you do shit like that in your time up here, you're not proving it. You deserve to be in Scranton. You're one of those guys that's a Jared Kelnick case. You're too good to be in the minors, but you're not good enough to crack the major league roster. Terrible base running. That is inexcusable from... A guy like him. Andujar, fuck you, dude. That that cost us. The next guy gets out. A rare 1-2 inning in baseball. 
pitching goes out again. We had dynamite relief appearances today from one from that game from Wandy Peralta. We had a dynamite outing by Clay Holmes. Dynamite outings by everyone. Lou Trevino as well, awesome out of the pen. Scott Efros had a really nice inning as well. That was a big confidence booster for me. I liked what I saw from the bullpen. Even Loisica, I wasn't too mad. When they lost, that was just a hard-hit ball. That was what he wanted. He wanted a ball, not hit out of the yard, not in the air. He got what he needed. It just happened to be out of the reach of Glaber Torres. That, that's unfortunate. Next inning, 12th inning. Oh, my fucking God. I, I fell to my knees the top of the 12th inning watching this game. I... My whole family was asleep. I'm downstairs watching the game. I'm still at my parents' house. I'm going back to my other house soon. I've been having, really enjoying my time here at Studio 38, just enjoying you know, the vibe of being here. It's been really good for my mental health. It's been great for everything, just kind of being away from everything for a while. There was a perfect opportunity to bunt with Isaiah Kiner for left up at the plate. Here, Jose Trevino's at second, not a fast runner. You want to sacrifice him over this is a guy who's been the scapegoat for everything this year. They've been organization has been babying this guy. The fan base has been ripping him to shreds. He has been terrible defensively by most metrics. He has not been able to make a throw from the shortstop position. His hitting's terrible. How does he have zero home runs in a hitter-friendly park? Enough of that, though. Isaiah Kiner Falefa is one of the worst shortstops I've seen ever grace the pinstripes. And we saw Glaber Torres last year. And Glaber Torres had one of the worst years I've ever seen from a Yankee shortstop. We've been spoiled with Jeter, with Gregorius. Hell, we've been even spoiled with, like, the few games we got of Andrew Velasquez. I could argue I'd rather Andrew Velasquez in pinstripes right now. Or even Tyler Waite, who I can't stand. Tyler Waite does not deserve to be on any major league roster ever again. I hate Tyler Waite with a passion. I would rather see him play shortstop than freaking... Isaiah Connor Fleffa. I want Gio Urshela back playing shortstop right fucking now. I can't stand it. I can't stand this guy. He's cool. I get the whole fan base behind him. But the fact that he, the first pitch he's swinging, he's not looking to bunt, and we can't get anything done on the base pass, that's terrible baseball. He tries to bunt the 0-1 pitch. He can't get it down. So he's got two strikes. Dude does his signature ground ball. It's a great play by the pitcher, but he hit a ground ball right back to the fucking pitcher. And if it wasn't going to the pitcher, it was going to the second baseman. Trevino, that's unfortunate. He got caught up. Whatever. And he knows, everyone in the building knows Trevino's not going to be in a rundown for long. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa apparently doesn't. The dude immediately rounds first, takes off for second, gets himself into a rundown, gets tagged out, two outs like that. What the fuck are you thinking? Listen to me. I get the aggressive base running. He gets the second base. Everybody's like, that's great base running. I would still say that's idiotic base running because you have a slow. It's not like you have even, like, let's say Glaber out there who can keep himself on a rundown for a little bit. Trevino's not able to do that. You're a guy like Isaiah Kindfleth. You got speed. I get it. Take the hard, aggressive turn and draw the throw, maybe, to get that guy off of, Trevin off of Trevino. But they're not stupid enough to do that. The Mariners, newsflash, the Mariners aren't the Reds. They aren't the old Mets. They aren't the Washington Nationals. They're not going to make a bonehead play where they have a rundown run between a second and third guy and a guy like Kiner Falefa, they see him go halfway. They're not going to just throw it over and try and get him out. No, because Trevino, then they know the odds of having a man on third and one out. They'd rather take the chances with a man on first and one out. That was one of the worst at-bats I've seen from Kiner Falefa all year. And he's had terrible at-bats. I get it. He works the count. It's fine. He's not bad if he'd be a bench piece, not the everyday starting shortstop. What made it even worse was the headline I saw today. 
Aaron Boone said there is no intent right now to call up Peraza. Why? Why is there no intent to call up one of the top prospects in all of baseball, have him rot away AAA this year, when we have this guy we traded, Gio Urshela, who was a fan favorite, and Gary Sanchez, who needed to be gone, for him and Donaldson. Donaldson's had his struggles, yes, but Donaldson at least offers good defense. Donaldson also offers a decent bat. He offers pop. He offers that FU, that swagger, what the Yankees needed. Kyder Falefa doesn't offer shit to this team. He doesn't. If he was off the bench, maybe he offers speed off the bench. That's all he offers. His defense is lackluster. His decision-making is terrible. He is a terrible pace runner, too. I remember in a game against Baltimore earlier this year that we lost. He got thrown out trying to tag up on a, fly, a shallow fly ball to left field. He got thrown out from second and third, and he was trying to protect a runner. I get it, but it was stupid. You don't call the full fucking leg to go halfway. Why did he... And when he got thrown out, I was so pissed. I nearly committed Chris Benoit. I was so mad. I couldn't believe it. I can't. I couldn't believe my eyes at how stupid this guy is. It was like watching MLB The Show and you accidentally press the button to advance all runners. That, that right there should have been enough for management to say, fuck it. No more. Stop it. I want off the ride right now. This experiment is done. Isaiah Conner-Falefa needs to be done in pinstripes. I'm sick of it. I am sick of it. That was inexcusable that he did that. Like I said, maybe if there was a faster runner, that's a... I like it. I like aggressive mistakes, but I don't like aggressive, idiotic mistakes. That wasn't a calculated risk at all. He should have stayed at first. There's two outs. Yankees don't score. Keep in mind, too, Judge did not step up to the plate until the 13th inning, and they intentionally walked him. We had two straight innings where there was only two batters brought to the plate by terrible base running decisions by two guys that deserve to be on minor league rosters. We need Stanton back badly. Rizzo was not even pinch hit for in this game. And Rizzo was ready to play, apparently. And Boone said he might have been available off the bench. Why not use Anthony Rizzo? He was on fire before he went on the damn injured list. Or we're not even injured list. Before he got his back injury. He was on fire. What the fuck is organization thinking? What is Boone thinking right there? Yankees lose this one one nothing. Should never have happened. Game two. Or game three. Robbie Ray versus Nestor. Great start by Nestor. Great game so far by Nestor. Robbie Ray looked like Cy Young Robbie Ray throughout this one until he, they left him out a little too long. I believe it was Jimenez who's been a bit of a Yankee killer this year. Hit a home run off Nestor. Fine. We get to the bottom half, I believe, of the seventh. Yeah, it was the bot or top top half of the seventh or eighth, whatever it was. Higashioka steps up with a man on, which was Kiner Falefa, who drew a walk. Kyle Higashioka, someone I'm a bit of a critic of, goes yard. Cool. 2-1. Judge hits number 45. 3-1. Awesome. We're going to win this game. They leave Nestor out. Then I see the call of the bullpen. I see who comes trotting out of the bullpen. None other than the fraud guy whose numbers are great due to pitching against bad teams and in mop and mop up situations where we're down five or up five we bring in the disgraced former yankees top 30 prospect who was shipped off for jose trevino and dfa'd twice albert fucking abreu now boone i know there are some arms that arms that were taxed from the night before but why not bring in efros efros hasn't seen much action i would have liked efros right there why don't you bring in wandy why not even Clay Holmes even? I know he's pitched twice, two nights in a row, but you need two outs. 
That's it. So a couple of guys on, I believe, and out. Abreu comes in, an inherited runner scores. There's a stat. Albert Abreu has allowed 66% of inherited base runners to score this year. The Major League average, I believe, is 32. A guy double the average. You bring in with an inherited runner. One, that is terrible analytics moves by the Yankees and Aaron Boone. Number two, fuck. Then comes up Carlos Santana, who's hitting 200 this year. Two-run home run off of Albert Abreu. I called it, too. I'm like, they run out Abreu. I'm like, we're losing this game. What are you thinking? I think even Licky would have been better in that situation. And I hate Lucas Licky. I hate Lucas Licky. Albert Abreu does not deserve to be on a major league ground. None. He doesn't even belong to be in Scranton. Hell, send the guy down under the Dominican Summer League. Go play with the DSL Bombers. You are that bad. You have the control. You can't have control problems if you're him. Miguel Castro at least gets away with it because he doesn't let up home runs left and right and doesn't sell in big situations. You do, Albert Abreu. For that reason, you should be off the roster. We have Clark Schmidt and Ron Marinaccio riding away in AAA because you have no options. And Brian Cashman went dumpster diving. I'm Aaron Boone. I'm livid that I even have this guy on my roster. And I don't have Ron Marinaccio. Marinaccio's allowed, I think it was two earned runs in his last, like, 20 innings of work. That kid is a workhorse. That kid is dynamite out of the pen. The fact he's right now in Scranton, that he pitched last night in Scranton, is terrible. Same with Clark. I think Clark should be starting tonight because tonight is, today is the Friday game where we have Domingo Herman versus Nathan Avaldi, August 12th. Terrible pitching matchup, by the way, for the Yankees. Ah. Anyways, Abreu comes in. Yankees lose 4-3. Paul Sewell talks about how the Yankees aren't shit, which I think he'll regret come playoff time. But he's right right now. The Yankees ain't shit, and that bothers me as a fan. I can't stand it. I really can't. When you have dynamite guys in the minors that are stuck there because they have options and service time manipulation, Albert Abreu better not be on the playoff roster. He better not be on the playoff roster. Lucas Lickie better be DFA'd as well. Loisica's got to figure it out still, but I think Loisica's finding a little bit of it. He's just got to get his confidence back. Maybe this just isn't his year, unfortunately. Clay Holmes looked really good. Over the last couple of games he pitched, I'm starting to think he's starting to find it a bit. He's getting some confidence back. Wandy Peralta has looked awesome this year. I think Miguel Castro needs to come back so we can just DFA this bozo Albert Abreu right now, this fraud. We can bring back up someone. Lou Trevino has been good. He had a great 13th, or not the great bottom of the 12th, where he came with bases loaded and he. Ended the hopes and dreams. 3-2 pitch. Throws a ballsy pitch to Eugenio Suarez. Gets him down. I love the emotion he showed, too. I really like Lou Trevino. Or Trevino, however you say it. I really like him. A lot. I think he's going to be awesome. He has a flair for the dramatic. And if he can figure out that clutch gene a little more, I think Lou Trevino is going to be very important. As I'm saying this, the Yankee lineup has been announced for tonight's game. The lineup goes DJ LeMayhew at second. Judge and Wright, Rizzo at first, Donaldson cleaning up at third, Glaber Torres will DH tonight, Andrew Benintendi makes his return to Boston playing left field and batting sixth. Batting seventh is catching sensation Jose Trevino. Last two hitters in the order, Isaiah kinder falefer and Aaron Hicks, fucking both. And tonight started coming off of probably two pretty solid starts recently, although I'm still wanting him out of the rotation right now. And someone who I've been a former defender of, Domingo Herman, will be on the mound. 
We better win. We better win. We'll talk a little bit more. Let's talk Mets. I was very critical of the Mets. I, I, I need to say something real quick. To my brother Danny Sapola, to all my fellow Met fans out there, my buddies Nick, Ranger, Matt Villano, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I dragged the Mets through the mud after the deadline. I wasn't familiar with your game. I am very sorry for what I said. Edwin Diaz, since his last blown save, has a .034 or, or, or .34 ERA. He's been awesome this year. He's having a revival season of legend. He looked awesome his last couple outings. He looked awesome against my Yankees. Max Scherzer, under two ERA, dog. Jacob DeGrom has looked really good in his first two appearances. And I mean really good. Guy has a 2.5 flat, flat ERA. DeGrom looks great. He looks like the machine he's built up to be. Can he stick together for a long-term period of time? We'll find out. Chris Bassett had a really, really ballsy start. Eight innings, no earned runs. Really good shit. That's an old-fashioned CC Sabathia-esque fuck you start. I like it from Bassett. Bassett's a big piece of this rotation. He's a bigger piece than Taiwan Walker, who seems to have turned it around a little bit. The Mets look good. Daniel Vogelbach. Literally Babe Ruth. Vogie's been awesome to watch. And I'm a fan of Vogie. Darren Ruff's been okay. Tyler Naquin looks like he's playing like freaking prime Curtis Granderson all of a sudden. Mets are very good. Even the pieces I didn't expect to perform like Eduardo Escobar have been really good. Jeff McNeil's rebounding from a down year. He was an all-star starter this year. Best thing we could have had happen for the Mets. The Mets have been the best thing. There is a little bit of a, a silver lining, I guess, for Yankees fans, is that they just beat up on the Reds, who have nobody now, especially without Castillo, especially without Molly. They have nobody. So you're beating up on a bunch of mid- or below mid. It's a good tune-up series. You did the job. You swept them. Congrats. You had a big series coming up with Philly, who surprisingly has the sixth best record in baseball. Philly made money moves at the deadline. Marsh, Syndergaard, Robinson. They gave up top prospect and failed top prospect, Mickey Moniak, and they gave up my boy, Anthony Volpe. Not Volpe. Oh, my God. Logan O'Hoppy. Why did I say Anthony Volpe? Excuse me. Excuse me. If you're hearing this, please, please excuse me for that error. I am so sorry. Logan O'Hoppy, top former top prospect of the Phillies, now top prospect of the Angels, and former first-round pick, draft bust potential, Mickey Moniak was shipped off in the Syndergaard deal. I'm really liking what I'm seeing right now from the Phillies. I do want to give a special thing I want to say about the Mets, someone I'm very critical of too. I can't stand Keith Hernandez. I hate him. He, is a, he was someone that was a menace in the 86 Mets locker room. He was a, uh, a big influence on introducing some younger players to some drugs. One of the worst ones in the locker room. He was just honored by the Mets. I don't think he should be honored. He should be shunned like the likes of Gooden and Strawberry kind of are. He should be in that same conversation, but he gets off because he's a commentator for the Mets and he's sober. Like Most of these guys are all sober now too, but still. 
Shouldn't excuse him from his transgressions, but enough about my Keith Hernandez hate. He recently said something, and it's going to rub a lot of Phillies fans the wrong way, so Phillies fans, plug your ears for the next, like, 10 seconds as I say this. Keith Hernandez hates the Phillies, and he says he doesn't want to cover any of their games because he doesn't like the brand of baseball they play. Now, in a way, I agree, because their defense is terrible. They're one of the worst defensive teams I've ever seen. They are so bad defensively, and they're not meant for... I think they're going to falter hard in October. They're going to be exposed. The pitching got better. The pitching got better. The hitting got better. The hitting is great. They're going to get Bryce Harper back. That's the MVP last year. You're getting Harper, Schwarber, JT Real Muto. Reese Hoskins is having a great year, too. Nick Castellanos, if he figures it out, if there's a, tra a tragedy that happens, Nick Castellanos is going yard. For example, Bill Russell dies, Nick Castellanos goes yard. Anytime there's a tragedy that happens, Nick Castellanos is going yard. And you could bet that prop bet that week or that day, Castellanos home run, you're going to win some money. I, I think it's savage of Keith Hernandez to say that, and I must formally apologize to him in my best Shaquille O'Neal impersonation. I'm sorry. I owe you an apology. I was not very familiar with your game. I was not very familiar with your game, Keith Hernandez. I think you and Gary Conan, Cohen are good in the booth. Gary's a bit too monotone for me at times. It doesn't show too much excitement, but I think he doesn't get off, ta off task like Kay does sometimes. Some other guys, which I like him to that extent. I just wish he was a little more exciting. Same with you, Keith. You're both too a little monotone, but you're, you're good. But you just said right there, that's savage. That's something I expect out of Hawk Harrelson, not you, Keith Hernandez. Awesome. This is a big series for the Mets coming up. The Mets can't lose this series to Philly. They're putting space between them and Atlanta, but Atlanta's hot. They just heated up again after you guys made work of them, clean work of them too, put some space between you guys in the division. But it's not over yet. It won't be over until game 162 is complete. I'll say that for the Yankees too, although they look like they're running away with it still. Game 162 hasn't come yet, so we will see what's going to happen. The Yankees and the Mets, it's exciting for them right now. More so for the Mets. It's very exciting to see both teams very good. The Mets finally have a better record than the Yankees, but I don't know how long that's going to last. Hopefully the Yankees get back on track. Hopefully the Mets keep this up because part of me is rooting for them. I want to see them do well. Somehow, if the Mets only win 10 more games, they'll have their winning season. But the Mets, I think it'd be hysterical if the Mets somehow lost out on the playoffs and lost out on a winning season. That'd be the most Mets thing to ever happen. But I don't think it's happening this year. They seem to have put the boogeyman aside for now. The Mets fan is extremely excited. This is a big series. I'm ready to see it. You have some tough tasks with Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola on the bump, but you also send a Grom out there. So that's going to be fun to watch. All right, so that's enough uh, baseball rant for right now. There is one more thing I want to mention that I saw. So I'm going to talk about my Astro fans, especially Mr. Michael Schwab, who I saw on Twitter, talking a lot of big game on Twitter, saying stuff like, good morning to only the Astros, the best team in the American League. Only fans who are the best team in the American League can tweet this out. Sorry, at Yankees and stuff like that. Praising your Don Alvarez as the best power hitter in baseball, this and that. I have a stat for you, Mr. Uh, Schwab, and also Mr. Sean Pentergast. 
Jordan Alvarez currently is on 45 home run pace for the season. That's pretty damn good, first off. Round of applause to Jordan. Like, genuinely. That's very good. I, I like to see that out of a guy like him. Someone who is part of the latter end of the cheating scandal. Like, the only really got benefited from the last year, but he still looked terrible in the play, postseason. Jordan's a very good player. I have respect for Jordan, the hitter. Crushes baseballs. He's on pace for 45 home runs in a season. That's not that's no thing to slouch at. Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees, the American League MVP, has 45 home runs at the time we're speaking today. They're not in the same stratosphere. Only Yankees positive I have. They are not the same. They are not the same player. Let's get into a little bit of NFL headlines. We'll talk with the Buccaneers first. They look to have lost another center. They're already down Ryan Jensen. Backup center Robert Hainsley was carted off at the end of practice. Granted, it wasn't, he wasn't on the back end of it. He was just sitting in the front seat getting carted off, but not a good look. Not a good look at all. The um, big news off the field this week comes with a former player. It's a sad news for a former player. One of my personal favorite running backs of all time, Marshawn Lynch, was arrested with a DUI recently. And it's just sad. That was just sad to see that. But there was one thing I thought kind of hysterical about it when the cops showed up to pull him over. There was no tires on the car that he was driving. What? Bro literally pulled up in no rims. That's just crazy. Crazy to think about. We had some uh, preseason action go down recently. The... Ravens keep their long winning streak alive. It's over 20 games now in the preseason. They have not lost a preseason game, I believe, in the last if it's 20 games. Last five or six years. Impressive. My buddy James Binder, shout out to you guys. That's wild that they haven't done that, even without Lamar. There's a special appearance that I am going to say. Malik Willis looked like a dog for the uh, preseason game. He looked really good. 105 yards total in passing. Rushing touchdown. I think it was 6 of 11 passing. Looked pretty good. I'm. I like what I saw. I'm sorry again to you, Mr. Willis. I wasn't really familiar with your game ever. I kind of did bash you pre-draft, but you looked really good. You looked really good. If this keeps up, who knows? Maybe you find yourself in a starting role. Another game I'm going to touch on is Patriots and Giants. A little bit of, I guess, some optimism in New York. Take it with a grain of salt. The Giants win a preseason game. Giants win a preseason game. They win a game. That's awesome for New York football. That is very, very good. And I'm very happy for them. Very happy for them. That's really all the big headlines in football right now that I could think of. If there's anything I missed, I'll come back to it. I'll do a segment at the end if I miss anything. Football. Actually, wait, no. There's one more before we go. Antonio Brown takes a page out of Kanye West's book with this quote he recently stated. On his biggest regret. And he put it on Twitter saying, Sincerely, A.B. I'll read the quote to you aloud. If you haven't heard it yet, I'm going to read it in my best voice. Quote, My biggest regret in my career does not involve calling my GM a cracker 
or showing up to Raiders camp late in a hot air balloon with frozen feet or throwing rocks at the front of that UPS driver. And it definitely doesn't involve taking my shirt off and doing a victory lap, lap around Jet Stadium mid-game while throwing up deuces. My biggest regret is that I'll never get to see me, Antonio Brown, play a game live. Sure, I can watch the game afterwards, but I can't imagine what that was like for you all to see something like that. Like watching the Beatles or Jesus perform at Red Rocks. Dog, you're not, you're not even getting a bigger pop than some WWE wrestlers. And that shit's fake. Antonio Brown was great in his prime, but he wasn't someone everyone would get ecstatic over, I felt like, besides maybe a few fans, like in Pittsburgh or, you know, Tampa Bay these past couple years. I think there were bigger draws in football, wideout-wise. I think Julio Jones was a way bigger draw and a way better player. That, if you watch Julio Jones in his prime, that was something to marvel. That guy was unreal. Brandon Marshall, too, who I'm not a big fan of either. Brandon Marshall was someone I marveled over my prime. And I think Antonio Brown's more on that level of wide receiver. He's compared people, fans out there that talk about him, and Antonio Brown himself, the way he talks about himself, he talks like he's Jerry Rice, Calvin Johnson, Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, and Larry Fitzgerald. Those are, that's the holy grail of wide receivers in the NFL. You Even Fitz, I could maybe say, is a tier below the four I named. Even T.O. maybe might be a tier below. or like He's like, there's tier one, and then there's tier 1A with T.O. He would never be as good as those guys. Never. I'd even throw guys like Michael Irvin, Tim Brown, Steve Largent even, Isaac Bruce, underrated guy. Um, Lance Allworth. All those guys I'd throw ahead of Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown might have had a year or two where he was the best wideout in football, he was never once, in my opinion, in my eyes, the best wide receiver to play in the NFL because I think there was years Des Bryant might have been better. There was definitely years Julio was better. Maybe Brandon Marshall was better one year. Demarius Thomas even had a couple great years. A.B. was awesome at his game. No one was a better route runner in his time. In his prime, Antonio Brown was the best route runner in football. I still don't think he was top two of a whole generation. Maybe for a year he was the best. But never in consecutive years did I genuinely feel that Antonio Brown was the best receiver in football. Even A.J. Green looked awesome. Antonio Brown's talent is undeniable. He is Hall of Fame talent, and his numbers are Hall of Fame worthy. But the way he's acting might have got him out of the Hall of Fame. I, I will defend that Antonio Brown is a Hall of Famer, and I, I hate the guy. I hate him with a good passion. I'm not a fan of him at all. Similar to how I hated Marvin Harrison, the killer. I am not a fan of anything Antonio Brown. He's a certified douchebag. Terrible guy. Should be in jail. Antonio Brown is a great receiver and deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But he is not top 10 all time as of right now. Maybe five years from now I'll think about it differently. But right now as we speak, Antonio Brown was never and never will be a top 10 all time wide receiver. The balls he has to report on that, I think it's crazy. We'll talk one basketball headline from this week. Per Shams, and this is kind of common knowledge now, the NBA will be retiring the number six league-wide, honoring the late legendary player and activist Bill Russell. I like it, in a way, because if you're going to retire Jackie Robinson's number league-wide, that's fair. Because 
Jackie Robinson was a true hero, a true activist, a pioneer. And he was someone, he was not just the first African American to play in the major leagues of baseball. Jackie Robinson was someone that truly exemplified an era where there was like pretty much no tolerance for black people in America. And they were treated as not human, not on the same level as white folk at that time. Jackie Robinson went through a lot, and he also had a Hall of Fame career. He deserves to be have his number retired league-wide. Not just because he's an African-American. He was a great player and one of the better players in baseball history, well-deserving of his Cooperstown induction. Fair enough. Hockey, you can no longer wear the number 99. Wayne Gretzky, the great one, the greatest hockey player to ever do it, arguably the greatest sportsman ever. Fair. Fair, I guess. Hockey, fair enough. And hockey's a sport of integrity, grit, pride. And I guess that's a good way of showing pride and have and your goat. Football doesn't have a number that's retired by everyone. Maybe it will be the number 12 for Tom Brady. Basketball-wise, I think if you're going to retire Bill Russell's number league-wide, you got to retire a lot of other legends. Because Bill Russell, he was the greatest winner. He wasn't the greatest player ever. I guess this is a similar to a baseball move with retiring Jackie Robinson's number is what I'll say. Bill was asked multiple times before he died, do you want your number retired league-wide? He said every time, no. Which is fine. But this, though, I guess that's kind of going against his wishes. But we'll never know. Bill Russell does deserve to have his number retired across basketball. All the players that currently have the number will be grandfathered in, like LeBron James and Alex Caruso. They will have the option to switch out or not. So I think it's cool. Will LeBron switch? We won't know what's going on ahead of the oh-so-knowledgeable LeBron James. He does, though. He's going to make a big PR stunt about it. But I don't think he is. Basketball's not too far away either, now I think about it. That's kind of scary to think basketball's right around the corner. We do have... Hey, great respect for Bill Russell here at the Knicks Polo Show. So, kudos to the NBA. I think that's not the worst move you could have done. Not, I don't think it was the right move necessarily because he said he didn't want it retired before he died. That's kind of a... Uh, going against a dead man's wishes but i do respect it in a way because you're honoring someone that meant more to basketball both on and off the court in many different facets of life i guess that's a good way to honor one of the greatest basketball players to ever grace the court not the greatest but one of the greatest i think if you retire bill russell's though league-wide that's gonna cause for more numbers to be retired league-wide I think maybe they should retire Jordan's number league-wide. No one should wear number 23 ever again because he was the greatest to ever do it, but they never will. Michael Jordan was the best there is, the best there was, and the best there will ever be. I did steal that quote. That's not my quote. But I don't know. Maybe they'll consider retiring 23 down the road when Michael Jordan eventually goes to the uh, basketball court up in heaven with Kobe. Is there anything I missed so far? I think there was a headline I missed. I'm going to go look through make sure I didn't miss any headlines that I could have covered. I'm trying to see if I missed anything. 
Um, I don't think I missed anything important. Uh, no. I didn't miss anything to my knowledge. Oh, oh, wait, no, I did. I did. Big news, big news. I can't believe I missed this. I haven't made jokes about it on Twitter. One of my favorite pitchers of all time is Chris Sale. Chris Sale broke his wrist riding a bike, and he had surgery on it during his rehab from a broken pinky, and he will miss the remainder of the season. Boston's pretty much out of it, so it doesn't affect too much. It just sucks to see a guy like Chris Sale on the shelf now again how do you break your wrist riding a bike so many memes about it too people putting his face on joe biden falling off the bike which i found hysterical hysterical seeing that i saw the things of the guy who's the mayhem guy jumping off the uh the bike or the thing that the commercials with mayhem for Allstate and the guy using the stationary bike and flipping over through the window that's crazy to me i feel terrible for Red Sox fans. You got to think, though, as a baseball fan, he's pitched 57 innings in the last three years. Is he ever going to pitch again at a consistent rate in the majors? Did he injure himself out of the Hall of Fame? I mean, there's only one way to find out, as time will tell all. But that is just unfortunate news for Chris Sale. That is the only headline I missed today. We're going to get right into some game p picks for today. We had a couple of good ones. I told you, I wasn't really going to touch much on the Field of Dreams game because, well, it happened. It was cool. It's always cool that it happened. The Cubs did beat the Reds 4-2. to There was surprisingly no home runs into the corn. We did see some early scoring from our friends in Chicago with the Seiya Suzuki double, a Nico Horner single. And Ian Happ double, all three for single RBI hits. And Nick Madrigal, who is back, single to center. He's knocking another run in the fourth. Then we saw Mark Reynolds double to deep right center to score a couple runs, make it 4-2. to two. Pitching wise, not much of note here for the Cincinnati Reds. Chicago, Drew Smiley gave five quality innings. And... I believe that's Robert Wick got the save. Oh, Rowan Wick, excuse me. Rowan Wick got the save. I don't know why I said Robert. Excuse my mouth. Not much really to talk about there in baseball. Not a lot of headlines from yesterday. We're going to jump into today's games. We have some really good matchups. We have Juan Soto and the, and the Do not Dodgers. The, uh, that was a bit of a troll job by me there. Juan Soto and the Padres will face Washington in Washington today on Apple TV. So tune in for that. It's going to be Clevenger versus Corey Abbott. We're going to see Guardians and Blue Jays, a good game tonight. We have Cal Contral versus Jose Barrios. Barrios has been horrible this year with a 5-1-9 ERA compared to Cal Contral, who has a 3-8-8 ERA. I think I'd take... If you're a smart betting person, I would take the over in this game, and I would take Cleveland. We have Orioles and Blue Jays. The Orioles recently leapfrogged the Blue Jays for a wild card spot, then to lose it by losing yesterday. So the Rays just reclaim that. If I said Blue Jays, I'm sorry. I meant to say Rays. I like the Orioles in this one. 
we have Austin Voth for Baltimore with a 5.53 ERA against Corey Kluber. The Klubot's been struggling a bit with a 4.05 ERA. We have Phillies and Mets. That's a big one on Apple TV as well. It's uh, Ranger Suarez versus Max Scherzer. Take the Mets. The Mets are winning tonight. If the Mets lose, I'm going to look like a dumbass, but I like the Mets. I think Scherzer's going seven strong, one run, three hits, 10 Ks. Mets win this one, 5-1. I like the Mets tonight. We got a another good matchup coming up with Yankees-Red Sox, the oldest rivalry in all of baseball. Yankees have 51% odds of winning this one. It's Domingo versus Evaldi. Take the over in this one. Take the over. Tommy Pham's been hitting like a monster since coming over to Boston. I take the over here. And I take the Yankees. Because, duh. We got the Astros playing their first game without Michael Brantley. It's Luis Garcia against Adam Olier in a pretty lopsided matchup against Oakland. We have another really good one, a uh, NL Central matchup between the Brewers and the Cardinals. It's be Eric Lauer versus my former whipping boy of blame, Jordan Montgomery, going at it for St. Louis. That's going to be a very good game. I think it's going to be a game of mid, though. This, whole, this is like a mid-off with the most mid-teams in the game. No lineup announcements yet for either team. Uh, the odds-betting favorite right now is St. Louis, minus 170 with the money line. I'm taking St. Louis. I have faith in Jordan Montgomery after his last start. Preseason games for NFL today. We have Falcons and Lions, Browns and Jaguars, Cardinals and Bengals, Jets and Eagles, Packers and 49ers. I believe Deshaun Watson's going to play. Actually, no, he's not. Deshaun Watson's not going to play today, so we'll get a good look at Cleveland. Yesterday's results, we just had Ravens over Titans, Giants over Patriots. Saturday, we will have... Chiefs and Bears, Panthers and Commanders, Colts and Bills, Steelers and Seahawks, Dolphins, Buccaneers, St. Texans, and Cowboys, Broncos, along with Rams and Chargers. And the Sunday night game will be Vikings and Raiders, who already have a game in the Raiders, I believe, won the Hall of Fame game over the Jags. We are getting close. September 8th is week one of NFL season. If you haven't checked out yet for all your betting needs for over-unders and win total projections, check out my latest episode, or my previous episode, I should say, of Nick's World of Sports, where I go over over-under picks, some hot takes in there, and if you want to make some free money in any betting leagues or betting areas where you have over-under win projections, take my advice. It is guaranteed to win you some money this year. Check it out, Nick's World of Sports. And if you want even more in-further, in-depth gambling picks, weekly picks, Go check out my subscription on anchor.fm slash Sports. Subscribe for $5, and I'll be doing special episodes every week, picking winners and losers, over-unders, prop bets, all that good stuff. I think that's going to wrap it up today. Let's see if there's any more headlines. There's nothing else. There is one thing I will include. If you are interested in some soccer, I know there's a couple of soccer people out there that... This is a surprise. Lionel Messi has left off the Ballon d'Or nominees for this year. That's uh, a little surprising for me. Carlos Santos, a uh, teammate of mine, is not going to be happy with that, but that sucks, unfortunately. Sorry to see that. Just figured I'd add that because that is something in the world of sports. 
should be a good day for a lot of sports, especially ba baseball and football. We will be back at some point this weekend. I'm thinking Sunday I will be back. We'll go talk about this a little bit. We'll be in-depth with everything. It's going to be a good time. We're going to have a great time on the show. A lot of good conversation to come. This episode was a little short, just about an hour and four minutes. It was great to be around everyone again. It is always great to be here. I enjoy my time here on the podcast with everyone. Boy. Boy, it's really been this long now. I've been shooting for a few weeks already. This is awesome. To the few people that watched, I've gotten some positive feedback on my last couple of episodes, especially my shorter one, Ragging on the Umpires and the Buster Posey Rule. I hope those people will stick around and be you know, forever listeners, be some part of the day ones. If you're listening to one of these episodes at the time it comes out, you are truly a day one, and I greatly appreciate you guys. I really do, and it means the world for me. 